Sometimes I don't know what the work means, but I go ahead and I work it out as I'm making it, and afterwards I see something. Hello, welcome to AI Arts In, the podcast sponsored by Creative Vanillas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I am here with Carol Demeron, who is a painter. Carol, welcome. So you were just going to jump right in and tell us that you've changed something about how you're working. I've changed something a bit, although I'm still doing narrative work. I took some paintings that had a lot of texture on them, and I wanted this old paint gone. I began to sand heavily. And when I got to a very smooth surface in part of the work, it revealed a lot of colorful, random, broken tones. And I just loved the feeling. And it, it feels, it, it's sound. It's sound. And I could, I can hear it. So I'm keeping part of these areas that look broken up and beat up and putting some thick paint around them or through them, but I'm retaining some of this underlying paint in the new work. I wanted to smooth it out and start anew. And so you're taking your old works, sanding them down, and then re-engaging with them with new paint and new work, new ideas. Yes. It's not just old work, but some actually weren't done. You're sanding them down, and then you are painting new new images and new colors and new things. On part of it. On part of it. And leaving this broken flat surface leaving part of it. You're very prolific. I've looked at your website and you have tons of paintings and you write that you work on many paintings, multiple paintings all at once. You shared with me some of your new paintings and one struck me, just jumped out at me so much. It was, it's a painting, I call it peasant under a tree. Looks like it might be a woman and it's one character and the character has his or her hand on her head. I believe it's a woman. Light is shining in one direction and in the other direction, it looks like it may be getting dark. There may be some weather coming. And I I looked at this painting and I thought to myself, I've seen that painting before. And then I thought to myself, no, I, I, I haven't. I'm sure I haven't. So I took it and loaded it up and did a Google search to see who it reminded me of. Google associated your painting with Michelangelo, Suzanne, and Peter Bruegel the Elder, who was a painter in the 1500s. And I thought to myself, it has ancient qualities, very old qualities, and then it has very modern qualities, and she's doing some amazing things combining these time frames. And then I went and looked further on your website, and you actually talk about combining medieval with modern. And I was like, yes. how rare is it that I find an artist can tell us what they're doing in words and have it really so powerfully come up in the work that they produce. Well, I could tell you something about it. I would first say the reason that it has a medieval feeling is because I am a European-trained artist, and I lived in Europe for 10 years. went to art school in Dijon and Paris and Amsterdam, and then I lived in southern Portugal where I did plein air painting. So I do have this classical base, and I, and I can draw well. I can say that much. I certainly was born with a drawing hand, and I love that a lot. I think that using academic expertise can pull the viewer into my psychological reality, but I don't like just overly describing everything. 
I like a muscular handling of the paint. I like differences. I like flat areas. But I do like drawing and I do like realism, but I like breaking it up and I like interrupting it. I'm working with opposites, with the unseen and the seen part of life, with the form and the void, and also with the, with the drawing and then the flat area and trying to find the midpoint between opposites. I would say that's my life's work. So this figure of which you speak is standing between a pine tree, which was in my yard in Portugal, and bamboo, which is from my yard here in Florida. So I'm between America and Europe. The figure is a, a young man, and it is my son, and he did have cancer. So he lost all of his hair. And I w went out to Albuquerque to be with him then when he was sick. And I was able to do a shoot and take pictures of him for my painting because I use my kids as the models throughout their lives. And I fly around the country and doing a, a narrative piece and I need the kids to model for something. And I did want to show a question about what is it? It was a question that this person has. And the painting is called The Change of Heart. And that's what my work is about. It's a point of change. A lot of times in my experience when people try to bring things together that don't generally arrive together in the thought process or in nature that just kind of look disparate. Whereas your work really seems to me to be very compressed and very internally energetic. The things that you bring together that don't necessarily belong together, belong together in your work. I find that the emotion of a piece doesn't come necessarily from the image. It does come from the logic of the parts. Okay, so tell me about that. Well, it's, it's a very balanced structure that I'm looking for. It's a particular division of parts where you don't have something of equal space side by side. This particular painting was a very difficult piece for me because of the spacing I was trying to get. I went round and round and round, and I'd move this over, I'd, and I would violate this side over here, and I kept moving it around, and I had to get it so it would just work. The other thing is when I had the figure of the boy, I needed the tree to go with it, and I was putting together the tree and the boy, and it was a very lengthy process, but I found a movement of the tree, the pine tree, that recreated in the figure. And so I'm interested in the underlying structure. The story gives you the composition, I'll say that. The story gives you the composition. The composition gives you your color, and the color gives you your surface. So I feel that if I can get my structure very balanced, which is important to me, and the movement is what I want, the rest falls into place. And if I don't have that, I'm not going anywhere. So you have two sets of paintings that you call allegorical. You have the first allegory series and the second allegory series. I had a lot of fun with the Wing and a Claw series. It was, a, it was a, a female nude and she didn't have any arms. She has a wing and a claw. And this is a, an image that comes out of, uh, this would symbolize depth from prolonged struggle. I, I would say that. I started making this figure and I felt really good about it. And people were a little freaked out. And what, what is this? And, and, and soon after, I started with this figure. I, my, I um, injured my arm. And I was in a brace for 
a year or two. And I thought, well, you know, I don't want to do this figure anymore because I'm, you know, I took away the arms from the figure and now I've busted my arm. So I would, you know, I was fearful, but I was drawing and drawing and trying to move past it and nothing would come forth. Finally, I went back to the figure and I felt perfectly happy and everything flowed and I started working again. And that's just, that's just something that happened with that, that figure. But I, I do, so for me, it was a, it was a happy, it was happy to, happiness to make it, but it is an unusual looking character. So yes. why do you call them allegories series? It's narrative painting, which is a story with and a story within it. So I would say that you there is a personal story set in front of a universal theme. The universal theme can come from mythology, it can be an archetype, but all of this is a mood. An archetype is a mood. So that's, that's how I'm looking at it. For example, Icarus. Okay, now that's, I have a painting of Icarus. Icarus's father, Daedalus, they gave him a set of wings because they were stranded on an island, and he made some, some wings out of wax and said, let's fly, but don't go too far to the sun. But Icarus didn't listen, and he flew too far to the sun, and he fell to the earth because the sun melted his wings. The father, however, did not die. Icarus fell to the earth. So my feeling was, uh, my take was, why, why did the father not help him out a little better? It's like you give your kid a set of car keys and they can't drive. I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was a lack of protection for this boy. Anyhow, I wanted to make this painting. It was a painful piece for me to make, but I just had to do it. So I feel like I'm really compelled to make these works. Something in me is coming out and I want to put it on a flat surface. I want to create space on a flat surface. I have my own personal reason for things. At this point in my life, I would say I'm, I'm moving into less mythology and more of just a personal story. Sometimes I don't know what the work means, but I go ahead and I work it out as I'm making it and afterwards, I see something. For example, I was in the parking lot of Publix and I was listening to a piece by Grieg and it was so lovely and I just sat in, in the parking lot and instead of shopping, I just listened to the, this piece and I saw this cave and, and a mountain and a man and another person and I saw this thing and I drew it and I started to work on it and it turned into a big diptych of a man carrying a burden going to a mountain, and I worked the whole thing out, and it was Sisyphus. So this came out of stopping what I was doing, listening to the music, seeing the image, and just going for it. But I didn't really know why or what. Mm -hmm. I just saw it. Some paintings go very quickly if I see it. If I don't, it does take some time. I've had a painting take five years, and just that's just the way it is, and I can't push the river. Sure, sure. It just they depends have, on what it is. They have their own uh, internal clock. Yes, they do. Salt Creek used to be Perma House Furniture, and it was owned by the Prince family. And Azel Prince was Thomas Edison's last secretary. Hmm. So they owned this building. And that's here in Pinellas County? 
It has been here all of this time on 16th Avenue South and 4th Street, which is just north of Mastry's Fish Place. So my husband, Herb Snitzer, and Lance Rogers and Gerard Drouard, who is an artist who is deceased, went to Azel and they started up this art studios and a gallery. And they wanted to be interactive with the community and they wanted African-American artists and they wanted to do something really important. And at that point, you couldn't get in without a portfolio review. It was a really big deal. They had lots of studios around, plus two beautiful galleries with beautiful tile. And when was this? 1992. Okay. So it was a long time ago. So I met Herb, and I was going out with Herb, and he said, why don't you come here and work? And so I moved upstairs, and it was a huge, huge studio I had in a huge space. And by the time it, the Salt Creek came to an end, we had 42 artists. And it was thriving for years, 16 years. Lance did most of the curating, and we had lots and lots of openings, and it went on, and we had the American Stage auction there every year. We had political rallies there, and it, it was just a wonderful place. I would say it was the precursor to the Warehouse Arts District. In the end, the building was sold to a man who also bought the fish plant next door. When he came to see the building with his wife, she became upset when she saw what the building was, and it was 42 artists. At any rate, the building was sold, and we all left, and they knocked the building down, and now there's a parking lot. There's a parking lot. I've been here for a long time. I used to teach figure drawing and painting at the Morian and help run the summer camp, and that was great. I'm teaching on the beach now at the Suntan. I'm teaching an advanced painting class. I did want to be at home, and I, I have felt that way for a long time. I read an article in the New York Times Magazine about Louise Bourgeois with an apartment in Chelsea with a family and husband. When her husband died prematurely, she discontinued her domestic life, got rid of her furniture. All she had was a hot plate, and the whole place was a studio. And I thought, I think that sounds fantastic. I would love to wake up and go to work and have the weekends and have the night and just be completely seamless in my life. And I thought, what am I waiting for? And so that was my decision. And after talking with my husband, he accepted it after a while and I moved home. And then it's taken a couple of years to adjust because I have not discontinued my domestic life and I do value the way my living room looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> However, I have a studio upstairs I have a patio outside, I have a couple of big easels now, and I have a painting in the living room, and I have a painting in the dining room, and I have a diptych upstairs, and I am extremely happy and content, and this is, I'm doing what I wanted to do. So what is a typical day for you then? Well, I would say it's, for me, it's austere and disciplined, and I love that. I already have the discipline out of just the desire. It's just a desire. So I wake up, and I have very strong coffee and toast, and I read a little bit, read the paper, and we walk the dog, and then I come back and do stretches, and I meditate, and then I go to work, and I'm on a schedule. Mm -hmm. I put myself on about a five-hour schedule, or more, but that's about the way I do it. And I 
am fulfilling one of my dreams, which is to have stations. So you have a painting here and you have a painting there because one feeds the other and they help each other. So if I have a painting in the dining room and I've moved the table over, what's the harm? <laughs> so that's how I'm doing it. And I don't know necessarily what I'll be working on that day, but I know when I show up. And some days I'll work on various paintings. When I look at your work, it's, it, it's, it's full of very strong images and very specific images. Uh, generally, the human body or a version of something that is quite similar to a human body. Incredible musculature or more height. I think this is part of why Google sent me to Michelangelo. I am working with some, some of them have human form and I'm working with now a, a violinist. I'm working with flying because in my dreams sometimes I am flying or running away and I can leap over the tree. So I have this part of my life is a dream state where I am actually flying and I, I just love this feeling. So I found myself putting this in some of the paintings. I've got two paintings now of that. But I'm also putting in my house and I'm finding that when the house shows up in the painting, it is a very good, stable environment for flying. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a really good contrast. Something real and stable and something that is imaginative and something that's grounded on the earth and something that's up in the air. Right, and so we're going back to pulling the things that are sort of yes. opposites together or in yes. finding that new balance. And what's the point in between? What is that point? What's that point between the two? And I'm, I'm saying, with the paint, with the creating of a, a volume, a, a cube of a house, a rounded form, and the flat surface of the, of the wooden structure or the canvas, and the flat wash of paint, what is the point in between this volume and this flat void. So is that how you're expressing the flying with the flat void? Because I was going to ask you, how does, how does flying get portrayed in painting? Well, f first of all, I'm using a figure that's off the ground. And secondly, I'm employing this, these broken tones because it, it's, it's feels like air and has a sound to it. It's like you're outside and you hear a buzzing and, and I see this quality of air. So I'm keeping that in these particular paintings. I'm very involved in landscape, mm -hmm. which I love a lot. When I was in, on Central Avenue, I didn't really have the landscape. There was a hedge outside, and I would use this hedge to great effect. Mm -hmm. But I needed more, so now I'm at home, and I have a big garden, and I, it's lush, and I'm using all of these different plants. And I can go outside and do the plein air thing where I'm looking at the work and I'm, I'm looking at the leaves and I'm getting the light and I'm getting the drawing and it has that quality of immediacy and I can bring the work inside and work on the figure and scratch things out and superimpose things. So I'm, it's not just the figure, but it's figure and landscape and now something of the interior in the house is gonna show up. I've also painted the studio dark gray upstairs so that I can move into still lives. I did society portraiture for many years. This helped me to become a better painter. I think 
that even if a person doesn't know what the tale is about, certainly they're not going to know what the personal story is right. unless I told them. And then, you know, the art has got to stand alone because people die and the artist left. So the art has got to stand alone. I think it's okay to look at the work and just stand there or stand next to it and be there and take some time and feel the work. And I would say that with, you know, when we go to museums, I think one need not go to every painting and try to get through it or get through a room. I like to pick out a couple of things and just really get involved with it. And then, you know, you take on your own personal glow. You also do really amazing things with color and light. Thank you. I would say I'm a colorist. I have been very well trained in color theory, where you're working with warm and cool. You're working with darks and lights. You know, how do you color your shadows? How do you shade your lights? I just understand color theory. My training in Amsterdam, which I do today, and which I want my students to do, is to get ready for your day, get your palette out, get your colors that you're going to use, get your basic you know, colors and put them in rainbow order. And then I take about an hour to mix that, to mix that paint. Mm -hmm. Say that I'm outside and I'm going to, I've picked out a few tones from, from the tree that I'm going to copy. And I will work on my palette and get that to be an exact likeness. And I'll pick out a couple of lights and darks from each object. I'll do all the blues, I'll do all the reds, I'll, do all, I'll use gray to tone things down, do all the yellows, and I'll lay everything out in a very organized way. And this takes a long time to do. And a lot of people don't realize this. They just, like I've got students come in and they just want to put together a couple of colors and go. But if you take the time, which you can only really do with oil. Yeah. I mean, you can take do with acrylic if you spray it, if you spray it and keep it wet. But oil is luxuriant because you have all day long and it's not going to dry on you and you have the time. And you lay this out very carefully and then... When you go to paint, it just goes because you've taken all the effort to carefully mix these colors. What works really well is to look at the entire piece of wood or glass or whatever it is, which is your palette, and see how do these colors look here on this. Because if it doesn't, if the color harmony doesn't work, which it must work, because it's like a chord, like a musical chord, if it doesn't work, it it's not going to work on your painting. Right. So I, I correct it on the palette. I, do, I don't try to correct it on the painting itself. So once that is carefully done, that's the long part. Mm -hmm. It's not a hard part. Mm -hmm. It's just a fastidious part. Then I, I start going. Well, you also do drawings and sketches. In, absolutely. In absolutely. I am a big drawer. I love charcoal. I love pencil. It's the basis of all art just like the figures, the basis of Western civilization's art. I start with a black and white thumbnail sketch, a little kind, which is a little sketch, just to put down the idea, get the expression. Then I start amplifying it, looking at the structure, getting a model if I need to, 
getting the lights in the shadows. And then if I'm doing a big piece, and I learned this from Van Gogh, and this is a good tip. I take the thumbnail sketch and I blow it up to scale or I just make it very large. Because when you go from small to large, things change and proportions change. And something that worked in the little sketch doesn't hold or you need something else. So I go ahead and blow it up. So now I have a lot of big sketches or big drawings. And then from there, I go to a big painting. And that's, that's a really good way to do it. I'm a traditional painter in that way. I have this rigorous training and it works. It's like an old master's training and I just love it. I love to work that way. So you mentioned that you use oils. What do you paint on? Well, I paint on wood. I used to paint on canvas, which I love. The original oil paintings were on wood. My understanding is that in Italy, during religious processions, when they had big paintings of Madonnas and babies and they walked down the streets, they were heavy. And that's why they went to canvas. There's nothing sacred about any of this stuff. It's just what you like. And I do think that an artist has to be connected to their materials. I love wood. I love trees. <laughs> I, I love wood and I love this smoothness of it. And I have large wooden structures made for me with uh, like thin boxes, boxes and then birch or door skin or something like that is uh, put on there with a frame behind it so that it doesn't warp. So I get the structure, it's a painting, and I fill it, fill the, the little holes with wood filler, and then I sand it, then I go over it again, and then I add a sealant, then I sand it, and then I add gesso, and sand it, and gesso, and sand it, and gesso, and sand it. So it's a lot of preparation, and it's very heavy, but there's just really nothing like it mm. at all. Mm. And when I start to paint, and it's a gessoed surface, I, I lay out the underpainting, and as I'm painting and I'm going along for a new day, when I start the painting day, I take linseed oil or walnut oil, which is ancient, and dip it in a clean rag, and I slick lightly the whole surface. So it's, it's wet and oily, so when I start painting on the surface, it eases it in mm -hmm. for the second day of of mm -hmm. paint. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the bite of canvas. If I was going to go to canvas, which I am a bit for the still lives, then I prefer linen to cotton because linen is an uneven weave. Mm -hmm. And I just like that a lot. Well, I'm so glad we're talking about the wood because that answered a question that I hadn't even articulated about the way even pictures of your paintings rise up from the page. They luminous from the page. And I think probably that material of the wood and is part of what makes that available for people. There's something to it. Yeah. There's something different about it. Yeah. It's a, it's a qualitative difference, I think. I'm working with Frank Lewis and Rick Neal. Rick is doing the music and Frank is doing the video. They've taken nine of my paintings and put together a story Oh, wow. And then I saw what the story was. They put it together in order. Then I took it and put it to verse. And then they're going to bring in dance with the music. It, it's going to entail sound and sight, and it's going to involve audience immersion. It's going to be 
a combination and an overlapping of painting, video manipulation, poetry, music, and dance. And we're looking for a venue to show this extravaganza, and we're calling it Glorious Exalted Awakening. Oh, wow. That's coming up. Six months to a year. That sounds very exciting. Yes. Thank you, Carol Demeron, for joining us. It's been a lovely conversation. Thank you, Barbara St. Clair. (laughs) You're quite welcome. This is Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI, the Creative Pinellas Podcast. Sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.